Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Yet may we not only be hearers of your word, but doers. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I am very glad to see you all here today. I am glad that we had a, uh, we are worshiping here today and we're also worshiping in, uh, up north. Pastor Nate is up north preaching at a local congregation because in my mind, up north is just one town up there somewhere. Uh, so one of that town he's preaching at, and I know that several of our Kirk members are there gathered today. So I'm really happy to be able to share it with you all uh, today, a little bit of my story as we have been sharing stories that have shaped us throughout the entire uh, month. And my story in particular actually begins in, in many ways when I actually left the church. I left the church because at that moment it didn't really make sense to me anymore. As many of you know, I grew up uh, Roman Catholic, very Roman Catholic. My mother made sure I knew how to pray and lead the daily rosary. She also made sure I went to church at least once a week. I joke, and many of you may have heard me say this before, but uh, my wife to this, my, my uh, mother to this day goes to church probably more than I do. And I'm a pastor. <laughs> there was no escaping the church or God in my family. Everywhere, everything we ever did was or wished was, do, was done based in, on si Dios quiere or if God wills or gracias a Dios, or thanks be to God. Yet after a while, especially as I was getting ready to graduate from high school, I started to question a lot of things, I guess as we, many of us do around that age, and faith just wasn't making sense to me anymore. Well, I, I still believed in God, yet there's, there was something about odd about it. See, because starting to see that living in Puerto Rico, especially during that time, Catholicism seems to have been very much interwoven into the fabric uh, uh, of day-to-day -day life. And you really didn't know where uh, Catholicism or religion ended and, and culture began, or vice versa for that matter. And I guess that isn't all too bad of an idea. It just didn't quite make sense to me. It didn't make sense that to be Puerto Rican apparently equal to be Catholic, and it just didn't square off right for me. And I thought, uh, in my opinion, believing in God or, or, or having faith involved something deeper, much deeper. It had to. Of course, I, I blamed it all to the institutional church, whatever that meant, right? And after all, what could institutional religion say about God or faith? And so I decided to, to leave the church and find my own way when I went to college. So in college, I, I had decided, I made the decision to join the revolution. 
There was one problem. I had no idea what that actually meant. In the meantime, I needed to get a degree and so I could get a job and lead me to making it. The problem with that, with that was that I also had no clue what that meant. Many family members and friends and mentors, leaders emphasized uh, the need to aim high and somehow make money. After all, that's what my father sacrificed more than 25 years of working power drills in a factory and my mother pretty much sacrificed everything in her life to, I can ha so that I can have a decent life. Then there was also my siblings who functioned both as my siblings and as parents because they were at least 10 years older than me. So I had five parents. Y'all pray for me. <laughs> it's almost like I needed to make it. After realizing that math wasn't quite my thing, I abandoned a short-lived desire to be a computer scientist. And by short-lived, I mean basically a little under a semester. And I put my focus solely on political science, and I wanted to go into either law or public policy. I needed to make it that way and then become some sort of advocate. Maybe, maybe just maybe, that's what the revolution meant, I guess. I don't know. But religion, on the other hand, well, it was kind of hit or miss there at the beginning of college. Uh, but it, it appeared eventually, unexpectedly, through the insistence and persistence of my then girlfriend, and today my wife. Gesseling prayed in her own way for me to at least attend church with her. God apparently had an, other ideas, right? Uh, God seemed to be creeping back into my life. Right? It, it felt different this time around. Uh, yet I always saw God as separate from whatever I needed to do with my life. There... Uh, uh, if anything, God was someone who was to support me in my way, a cheerleader, if you will. After all, there were many people that were constantly telling me that I would do big things with my life. So, of course, why not have God as a cheerleader for that, right? They all pointed to key images and signs and well-reasoned arguments of what that would look like and how that would be possible. Signs and reasons seem to be at the crux of the Corinth church community. Paul is writing to this community and is widely believed that it was a community of faith that he himself started. Uh, Paul had become somewhat of an, uh, of an expert of gathering community in Christ's name. And he had his work cut out for him at this, uh, in Corinth. Since they didn't have internet or Paul didn't have a Facebook page or an Instagram account or anything like that where they could keep tabs on each other, they actually wrote letters to each other. And this letter that we, the book that we read today, the scripture that we read, is part of a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And it is evident throughout this entire book that there are a lot of divisions in this community. Divisions were, that were threatening to pull the community apart instead of drive it together. There are divisions regarding appropriateness of speaking in tongues, what they were supposed to eat, 
or not eat, about uh, divisions about sexual morality and divisions amongst even social classes. Members of the church range from prosperous household heads to slaves. As a matter of fact, the city of Corinth itself was in many ways an up-and-coming community. It had been abandoned but had now been brought back by Rome and many, slave and freed, were living in the city with one goal in mind, trying to make it. Specifically to today's text, we see in verse 22 uh, another division in the church of Corinth. In In the verse, Paul mentions how Jews demand signs and Greeks demand wisdom. If you pause for a second to think about it, both seem valid aspects of faith. Many who are identified here as Jews have a clear historical have clear historical things that they can point to to prove how God acted in a mighty way, a mighty and powerful way at that. Think of Moses parting the Red Sea. Think of the manna being provided in the desert. There are clear proofs of God's mighty and powerful acts. The Greeks or Hellenists, on the other hand, were those that were influenced by the philosophies of the of the time in Greece. In seeking to understand the divine, they, they sought to gain knowledge and understanding. And, and not only that, but present well-developed arguments and well-developed and polished arguments about that. I mean, both are necessary. Both having proved something to point to and having reason or logical arguments. Both are important in matters of faith and in matters of life. I mean, I I heard all about it when I was trying to make it myself. They pointed to people that would go to school, work hard, and get a good paying job and make it. That was proof about it all. They also told me reasons about the importance of money. The problem is that sometimes it would be a little jaded. It almost felt like you would get somewhere just to say you make it, you made it. Or you would have money just to be able to supposedly have control of your own lives, as if we could really do that. I also, the truth is that I I depended on on both of them. I depended on both of them because, well, there there was, I didn't quite understand the world and I had a very deep sense of, of not feeling worthy. Not being sure I was capable of doing everything. I can't necessarily point to when it, when it uh, began, but I knew it was there. Perhaps I just, start, I just followed these proofs of people that people pointed to and, and the reasoning because I, I wanted to, to, to finally make it. I had to be strong and I had to be wise. That was the way. Yet this Jesus guy... I was learning about, seemed to be in the business of doing things differently. He had this other way. This Jesus guy that I was beginning to learn about again seemed to set his own rules. Ways that didn't always go hand in hand with the rules that I had grown up learning. And apparently his ways didn't fit uh, his times either. The unexpected thing is that this Jesus guy I mentioned seemed to have another way for me as well. It had been hard enough for me to get to even where I was currently in my refound faith. I battled through a lot of doubt 
and probably most significantly, I, I walked away from the Catholic Church and had to endure some hard times uh, with some family members and those close with me, but especially my mother. Let's just say she wasn't quite thrilled that I had joined or had gone to one of those churches. You could ask her what she meant by that. Yet within a short amount of time, I not only began to take my faith a little bit more seriously, I also began feeling a bit of a tug, a tug towards ordained ministry. It still boggles my mind. I couldn't quite understand why God would want to call me to ministry. Just a few years prior, I barely believed in God. I was more interested in entering politics or joining some sort of political movement of changing the world that way. That was the only way. And also, and probably at, at the deepest part of all of this anxiety around this was, what would my mother think? I was confused, afraid, and yes, I had a major battle of insecurity. Shortly after I first felt God calling me to ministry, I was at our youth group. Uh, and, and the way we had youth group at my home church was basically a, a youth service every Friday. And this particular Friday, we had a guest uh, speaker who had actually grown up in our church and now was pastoring at uh, some church. And, and it was the very first time I had ever heard this passage from 1 Corinthians. At first, I really wasn't sure what I had just heard. Did he just say that God foolish what? Yet... I went back to scripture and I was like, yes, that's actually what it says. And for some odd reason, a lot of things became clear to me. See, because God wasn't a faraway God. God wasn't a God that chose to rule uh, at a distance from us. No, instead God was one that wanted to be fully engaged with the world and with us. God was one that sent his son Jesus as the Messiah, the one that was to save us. The captivating part of this truth was that the people during Jesus' time uh, were waiting for a strong Messiah. A Messiah that was a likely political leader, one that demonstrated military might and strength. After all, this is what ultimately led them to be now under colonial Roman rule. The same colonial rule that pressed its power and authority by crucifying anyone that dared to rebel against their rule. Crucifixion not only was aimed at shaming the would-be rebel, but also at sending a message to everyone of what the price would be of any, uh, anyone foolishness to go against the, the Rome. So for anyone living in that time, it would be foolish for any Messiah, or anyone claiming to be a Messiah, to be crucified. So, instead, the people were waiting for someone to come in power and strength. Instead, they got a lot of foolishness, apparently. God's way of bringing salvation to the world was through the foolishness of the cross. Foolishness to them, of course. This was the way 
God was to demonstrate God's love to all. Jesus would suffer and be crucified. Instead of marking the end of the story, as people thought crucifixion would be, it began a revolution of sorts, a new way. It was foolish, and it was what God wanted it to be. The foolish way of God wasn't dependent on well-developed arguments, nor did it depend on military strength. God's foolish way was and is a reminder to Corinth and to us all today that what was to bring them and us together is God's foolish ways that go beyond all human proofs and reasoning to create a community and world that showcase God's love. It is that foolishness that has guided me through all these unexpected twists and turns in my journey. It is God's foolishness that led me to quit a stable job to go to seminary, get in massive loads of debt. It was God's foolishness that led Gesseling and I to move to Indianapolis when we knew no one there, hours away, and two or three airplanes away from being in Puerto Rico. Having no prior connection there or to anywhere in the Midwest and having a salary that probably wasn't guaranteed more than two to three years. It was God's foolishness that allowed us to push through many ups and downs in ministry and in life in order to be witnesses to God's love in the world. It is God's foolishness that has brought me, yes, even here, even a place like the Kirk, one that reminds me often of my Catholic church. yet is a community that is striving to follow in God's foolish ways. I left the church back then because it didn't make sense to me. And obviously I'm thankfully back in the church, trying to follow God, yet be imperfectly. But to be completely honest, there are days, even today, that faith and church still don't make any sense. Yet I'm only able to move forward because I know God moves in foolish ways. God's foolishness acts today to build community and bring people together where there is divisiveness. God's foolishness acts today to bring love where there is hate. God's foolishness acts today lifting up the one that has fallen. God's foolishness acts today giving strength to the weak and healing to a broken world. So church, friends, I ask you today, what foolish things are we going to do for God today? How are we going to act in God's foolish way? I encourage you all to not be afraid of being wrapped up in God's foolishness. Let us dare to be a community that gathers people in God's love instead of causing divisions. Let us dare to believe that this world can be renewed by the power of love manifested in the crucified Messiah. Amen and amen.